How much does that song just get you pumped about baseball? So much. So much. I mean, I've listened to that song before, I think, and we've gone to play catch, and I'm like, I can do it, man. I can play in the pros. I can, <laughs> And then I throw the ball, and it goes about five feet and dies and just rolls to your feet. And then, you know, the magic is over. That's just your knuckleball, man. That's all that is. <laughs> is that what that is? It just drops off the table. Now, when I was playing Little League growing up and even high school and all the all those games, you'd get the in-between innings music and without fail, center field. Occasionally, if they wanted to mix it up, they'd kick on Jock Jams Volume 1 and you'd get some like My Sharona. But usually, <laughs> no, no questions asked, you were getting center field. And I just, when I hear it, I just have that Pavlovian response of, oh shit, I gotta, I gotta loosen up. I gotta do some calisthenics. I uh, gotta get, gotta get the donut on the bat, loosen up a little bit, throw on the gear. What about Glory Days? Would they throw Glory Days on ever? Is that? Uh... I, n- I never allowed them. You know how I feel about that song. Yep, that's so true. if they turn that's that true. on, I'd walk away. Eight year old Cole just walks off the field. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Can't In play his today. Cubs uniform. <laughs> but oh man, speaking of being pumped about baseball, I'm missing it like crazy. It's it's hurting me that the season hasn't started. I'm glad it hasn't started. I hope everybody's staying safe and healthy. And I get it. And I'm loving MLB Network playing old games. I don't know if you've noticed that, but they're playing games from like 82. You don't know if I've noticed if MLB <laughs> is playing games. I don't even notice when the MLB season is happening. I mean, I don't like baseball. I'll watch the World Series if the Dodgers are in it. Or I guess pretty much if anyone's in it. But like, I yeah. I mean, if uh, baseball was as entertaining as this movie, I'd be watching baseball all the time. Baseball to me, it's and I know I'm going to get deep in the weeds in this episode, is just the greatest sport in the world. And I know you don't agree with me. No, that's fine. But it's okay for me to be right and you to be wrong. I think that's the foundation <laughs> of our friendship. But uh, you mentioned it. We have a spectacular movie today. We're going to talk about A League of Their Own, which is a perfect film. It is a perfect film. I was watching it the other night, and I turned to Rachel and I said, you know, this is a perfect movie. Like, there is nothing I would change about this film. There's not a single frame I would alter. It's just a perfect movie for what it is. And I just, I'm so honored that you decided to break out your Rockford Peaches uniform. You're welcome. And put it on while we're, while we're yep. recording this. I mean, this is, this is a very big honor. Yes. As this is not a visual medium, Jed is the only one who can get my gear. But uh, <laughs> I, every part of this film makes me happy. And it doesn't just make me happy from a baseball fan, which there's a lot of that going on, but just somebody who enjoys movies. I've talked about my Maverick theory, you know, for the last year and a half or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this really fits into that where you have big stars and a fun subject and a fun movie. And even when there are dramatic beats, they make sure never to get on the downbeat too hard. But they also never get, I think, too um, sentimental. Uh, there are, and this movie is kind of hard to stay away from that, but it never feels like anything goes over the top or reaches too far. And at the end of the movie, Every time I've seen it, which is easily into the 40s or 50s at this point, all I can think of is, my God, that is such a good movie. Like, it is so incredibly good. And I think what we're going to spend a lot of time thinking about today or talking about today is what makes it such a perfect film. And that's something that we had a lot of uh, people ask us about when we were asking for questions about this episode was, and I think they were genuinely asking, why is it such a great film? And I can't really wait to get into that with you. Yeah, me either. I, I have some thoughts on it, and you know, it all starts from a certain someone, and we will get to that yeah, uh, yeah. later on. And, and I think you make a good point. I think it's an actually answerable question. I think there are I think demonstrable reasons that this movie is perfect, but 
as we do occasionally on what I think are, are movies that are big for us, set the stage for me the first time you saw this movie. So, as you know, I used to go to the movies every Saturday with my dad. That was our thing. And he was very excited about this movie. My dad, huge Tom Hanks fan, uh, loved Gina Davis and everything she was in from early on stuff. And we went. I mean, what, we were like 10 at the time, maybe a little older, something like that. I can't remember exact uh, exact age. But watched it and just fucking loved it, man. In the theater, you know, opening weekend. My dad was cracking up. I was cracking up. It was rare that it was a movie at that age that I would fully understand like he like he was. And I'm sure I didn't get nearly everything, but I got it enough where it was like we are both enjoying this thing and we're laughing at the same parts. I'm I'm at the age now where I can get the jokes, um, except the clap joke. Didn't get that one at the time. <laughs> good, but good. You're not supposed to get the clap joke. <laughs> upon rewatching it, hilarious. Um, that's just everything that Hanks does in the film. But yeah, so saw it then, and I mean, we're talking later that night, my dad's quoting the movie. Yeah. Well then, this would be more, wouldn't it? You know, <laughs> all, all, everything, every line you could imagine. And the thing is, you got to remember, like, this is before the internet. So when the there's no crying in baseball line hits, you you experience that for the first time with the people in the theater, and everyone loves it, so you can actually be part of that moment where everyone is hearing this thing for the first time that is going to become such an iconic line. It's kind of amazing because you don't really have too much of that anymore because people are, you know, know a lot about movies before they even see them or there's clips released and things like that. So it's kind of a unique experience. What about for you? Uh, when did you see this? I remember this day almost to the point of like what I was wearing because it's one of the few birthday parties that I remember. My birthday is June 29th. This movie came out July 1st. And uh, that's right, guys. June 29th. Plenty of shopping days left. Um, <laughs> you can email us at cigaretteburns at yahoo. Uh, cigaretteburnspodcast <laughs> at yahoo.com with any e-gift cards. Anything. There's just... I don't want to tell you what to do. You just shower me with whatever affection you think I deserve. Anyway, I had a birthday party set up at like this bicycle park thing where you could go ride bikes and do whatever but it was raining and my mom was like oh shit what do I do with like 15 kids let's just go to the movie and we went to a league of their own which was something I badly wanted to see because I always went to the movies with my mom but it's like we go in it's pouring down rain outside and I didn't get to have the birthday party that like I thought I was gonna have and hold on the, the birthday party at the at the bike park that man spared no expense there Cam dog <laughs> You know, if you want to start throwing heat this early, I, you're going to have to deal with her on your own. I'm, I'm not going to take it for you. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Go right ahead. But yeah, we, we went to this movie and it was like, it was packed and it was so good. And it was baseball and it was Gina Davis, who I obviously had a crush on. And it was just so incredibly good that when I walked out, I remember asking my mom, like, can we please go see that again? Like this weekend, can we please do that? And I know I saw this multiple times in the theater. It was just, I, I am wrapped in that blanket of that memory every time I see this movie. And there's no chance I go a year without seeing it. This is one of those movies that does not escape a year without a repeat viewing. And it's never, it never lets me down. I never speed up through a part. I always look forward to the next part. I, I, I'm just enamored with the full experience and history of this movie. Uh, with that, I think we should probably get into the back of the baseball card stats on this movie, who made it, what it did. Yep. What, do you, what do you got? I got Penny Marshall. 
And that's enough for me. I know that she was watching a documentary about the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, which honestly, if not for this film, and if I had never heard of this movie, I would have no idea that this happened. I would have no idea that during World War II, they decided that we need to have sports here. And all the major leaguers, or at least I think like 500 of them or something, went off to fight World War II, uh, doing their duty. And now we need sports. And so women can play baseball. Let's form this league. First year, they had four teams, which they chronicle in the film. And just the idea that she watched this, saw this documentary one night, and then, I mean, the the happenstance of her seeing this, because in my opinion, all right, I'm going to say it right now about Penny Marshall. She's the only one that could have made this film. And she is the most underrated director of all time. Because nobody talks about her. And I don't understand it. I don't disagree with that at all. Because I have in my notes here, the run she goes on from 88 to 96. It's is, unheard of. It's nuts. She just, out of nowhere, and, and I think people need to remember who Penny Marshall is. Which is like, she started kind of on Happy Days. She was always in TV, but she was Laverne in Happy Days. And then obviously had an incredible run on Laverne and Shirley. And then in 88, just, you know, makes big Yep. She, she also, a couple years early, made Jumpin' Jack Flash, which is a really funny, great Whoopi Goldberg movie. Yep. Uh, but then she makes Big, Awakenings, A League of Their Own, Renaissance Man, and The Preacher's Wife from 88 to 96. And then she makes, like, Riding in Cars with Boys in 01, and then like, yep. nothing. Nothing. And then nothing. she says, like, fuck it, I'm out. And yeah. She Bill Withers it. Yeah, and her, her eye for what to put in the frame is so underrated, and I kind of wonder if it's... Does Gary Marshall's career get attached to her just because they were so connected? Not just because they're brother and sister, but I feel like when I'm not looking at her IMDb catalog that she did more than she did. Oh, I totally agree with you. I, I couldn't, when I saw the amount of films, I'm like, I thought she did a lot more than this. And it's yeah. because everything she makes is so good and so impactful and has so much great content or whatever you want to call it. It's just, it's amazing, and I think, in my opinion, for me, I figured out what part of what makes her so amazing as a director is she can go from comedic beat to serious beat without going into cheesy territory or sappiness at all. And my best example of that is the comedic beat in the locker room and then Betty Spaghetti getting the telegram because yeah. that scene is handled to perfection and in a lot of directors' hands, it would be fucked up. It would be rough. It would not transition well. Like, I love Marty. Marty could not direct that scene. I agree with you. Okay? I, I, I think one of the great things that she does is nothing is rushed. Mm-mm. No, 100%. And I think, and I, I don't want to, this is all, you know, me just guessing, but I feel like that really speaks to her time in comedy where if you rush comedy, the beats aren't correct. And you can say the same words in a different tempo and get a completely different response. And I think her scenes are allowed to marinate and mature in a way there you get done with the movie. And this isn't a short film. It's two hours long. It feels short as hell. It's like I couldn't believe how quick it was over because it flies by. The pacing is so perfect. It's so incredibly good. And I think part of the reason, not just the editing, not just the, the beats that you were talking about, but also, I think she does an incredible job 
of putting four or five different stories that are weaving through this that you're interested in. So when you get to a particular scene, you're not like, I don't care about this story. She's given enough uh, backstory to it that you're invested. Absolutely. And, and, you know, when you watch it, initially you're like, okay, Dottie and Kit, they're going to be our main focus. And then they bring in the Marla character and you go back to the Marla character here and there. But every time you do, you're interested in what's going on in Marla's life. You're interested in what is happening to her, her and Nelson, all that stuff. And it just absolutely speaks to what you just said. It's absolutely the truth. Well, and she's changing, like Marla changing. Oh, the evo- evolution of all the characters is great. And that's one of the great plot lines in this whole film is all the characters evolve. This is not people staying the same. And it's also the country evolving to a certain extent, right? Not as much as we would like. But there's hope. There's a light at the end of at the end of the tunnel at the end of this film. But what she's able to do, and you said it perfectly by letting scenes develop. Because I read an interview with Tom Hanks, and he talked about they asked him, "So was the no crying in baseball line was that a hit like at the table read?" He's like, "No, not necessarily." He's like, "But Penny knew that we would find it when we made the film, and you know that that's where that comedy is is kind of found. You can read it on the page. It's one thing." When the actors perform it, you frame it, all that, you edit it. It's a whole other thing. And to your point, I mean, I think her experience in La- on Laverne and Shirley and all that good stuff, definitely. I mean, she worked with some amazing people yeah. on that show and throughout her entire career. No, she she is such an underrated commodity in Hollywood. You know, uh, sadly, she passed away in 2017. But I honestly would have told you she did 25 movies. Mm-hmm. And it's just because that batting average is so sky high that when you don't miss, it just feels like, oh, for every every director that has eight hits, obviously missed on 12 or 15 movies. Uh, not if you're Penny Marshall. No, no. Uh, so she just incredible. And we're going to be going back to that, I think, pretty consistently because there's a lot of things that she contributed to this movie that other directors wouldn't, not just from a filmmaking standpoint. And, and all those little things in the cumulative aspect, create this larger, perfect, finished product. The the writers on the movie, real quick, Babalu Mandel and Lowell Gans, they're a writing team. They did Splash and City Slickers, City Slickers 2, another baseball movie in Fever Pitch. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> the DP was Miroslav Andrzejczyk, who did Amadeus, Hair, Silkwood, World According to Garp. I know you're a fan of Garp. Um, yeah. The score, Hans Zimmer. That's insane. When I saw Hans Zimmer, I know. There, I was like, that's why this is so memorable. Yeah. The the music in this movie, soundtrack and score. And I'm sorry, my volume's going to get crazy. I'm so excited tonight. It's nuts. I don't know that I've been this excited for an episode in a while. Yeah, I, this is I'm very I'm very pumped. And I watched this movie four times getting ready for this. I, I threw it on <laughs> a few days ago. And I just I've been watching it. But the 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 tones of the music matched with the actual like soundtrack they put some songs in it to mix it up it's so pitch perfect that i get emotional watching the scene not just because i know what's going to happen but i'm like you swell you swell with some of these scenes and it's it's something that hans zimmer is one of the best in the world at doing it mm-hmm. but i like that you said i didn't know it was a hans zimmer score whereas like i'm sorry john williams is incredible I'm not taking anything out of John Williams. I know a John Williams score when I hear John Williams yep, score. Absolutely. Doesn't matter what movie it's for. It's just guaranteed, it's just guaranteed the DNA's there. And this shocked me as well. And Penny Marshall was like, yeah, Hans didn't know anything about baseball. That also freaks me out because 
baseball is this living organism through American culture that a lot of other sports don't have. And there are certain songs that sound like a baseball song. It's a weird thing and it's hard to describe and I'm certainly not smart enough or, you know, have the vocabulary to be able to capture it. But you hear a song that you're like, I could be playing baseball to this. And Madonna's song that she wrote for this movie, which is really, really good, but I could not imagine it actually placed in the film. Yeah, I couldn't imagine in the film, but I could imagine playing baseball to it because I would just be standing around. <laughs> so I don't... Like, yeah, it makes sense to me. (laughs) I also want to give a shout out to the costumes and the set deck in this movie. Um, We typically don't get this far down, but it was just so... They captured the visual of baseball so perfectly that George Datita Jr. did the set deck. He did Working Girl, Big, Inside Man. He did Birdman. Uh, Mm. So this wide swath of uh, set decoration for him. And Cynthia Flint did the costumes. And I love period pieces. I think a lot of people love period pieces because it gets boring to see people wear clothes that we wear. Obviously, we're two high fashion guys. So a lot yes. of films that we watch, it's like, yeah, I've got that in my closet. But just cargo shorts, check. Obviously, it, you got to have room. Yeah, no, so much cargo. <laughs> but along the lines of what you're saying, the movie looks exactly like when it takes place in my mind. It's it's probably informed what I think of the 40s right. because it looks so perfect and there's nothing out of place. I don't see any Starbucks cups. I don't see any <laughs> water bottles or any Yetis <laughs> or anything like that. It's amazing. They just they kept it all and it's so authentic. Well, and not only does it look like the 40s, but it looks like what I want the 40s to look like. Yes. You know, yes. It, there's this nostalgia, I guess would be the best way to put it, that that's what I want it to look like. The, the sort of rocketeer version and yep. there's people smoking, but they don't fog it up with so much smoke that it looks grimy and gritty. It still looks bright and clean-ish and it's so warm. The colors of this movie and the tension in the movie even is taught to a degree that you're never so uncomfortable that you want to leave it. You know, I just, it's so, God, Penny, damn, so good. So good. Yeah, it's perfect. And it deals with everything. But it doesn't hit you over the head with it. It doesn't make it more than it needs to be. Everything it honestly deals with, the majority, it shows you it doesn't tell you, as you always say. Even down to, well, why are there no African Americans in this league? Well, they weren't allowed. And we don't have to tell you that, but we can show you. Yep. And and we can show you that they had talent, and we can show you that they could have played. And that one little brief little five-second scene says everything. The incredible part about that is you, you see the throw... You see the acknowledgement from Gina Davis, and you almost, if you did forget, you realize in that moment, oh, damn, there's still some some serious shit going on. But instead of being a movie that tries to deal with everything entirely, I feel like they had like a, a notepad down and they were like, okay, here are the subjects I want to cover. This is going to be 2%. This is going to be 6%. This is going to be 11%. This is going to be 1.5%. And they dedicate the perfect amount to make the story cohesive. To each one yep. of those things. They don't take a 4% of the story like the marriage to Nelson and decide to make that 25%. You know, they don't take yeah. us into the wedding. They don't take us to where they go on their honey. They don't do any of that. They don't show Marla having a baby for no reason. They just say, that's 4%. We're going to give you 4% and that's it. And what's interesting to me is like the original cut was four hours. I want to see it, it so lot- bad. <laughs> I do too. 
gave a lot more backstory on all the women. So I think you'd have these kinds of scenes. You have some more scenes with the love interest in terms of between Dottie and um, Jimmy, which I'm happy they cut all that out. It, it didn't need it. It needed to be more of a player-coach relationship that they had there, uh, each other helping each other. I mean, I'd watch the scenes. I'd watch I'd watch a 12-hour cut of this film, to be honest with you. Yeah. But I think the way it is, it's perfect. They cut it down. I, let's answer the question that we were asked, I think, multiple times here. Um, what makes it so perfect? I will go ahead and say it starts with Penny Marshall and it ends with Penny Marshall. The stuff in between is all because of her. Gina Davis got the part. Gina Davis had a tryout in the backyard of Penny's house. All the other girls had to like really seriously try out. Gina Davis, not the most athletic. They covered up in the film just fine. But she was perfect for the role. And I think Penny Marshall knew that. And so she's like, we'll put her in there. They spent eight hours a day, six days a week for seven and a half months participating in baseball training. They don't make movies like that anymore. And it's sad because this shows when you watch it, it feels real. You don't have to have quick cuts away that hide things. You don't have to summer catch with Freddie Prinze <laughs> I pitching, knew you, right? I, I knew you were going to do, but it is, <laughs> Freddie, it was terrible. Uh, that is correct. So to me, that's what makes it perfect is it looks so authentic. Everyone plays their role to perfection. <clears throat> Madonna. Um, <laughs> we're going to get, we're going to have we're to talk get about to her. Madonna. Yeah. We're going to get to her. But I think it, it starts and ends with Penny Marshall. That's why the movie's so perfect. That's why they got the cast. And that's why the film is what it fucking is. What do you think? I have every single one of those things written down here on my list. Uh, Penny Marshall gets all the credit as well. She should. The, the cast is incredible, which is another question we got asked a lot. And we'll get into that as we start walking down every heavy hitter that was in this movie. But it, as you mentioned, it doesn't have fat to it. Uh, and it's, it creates a world that you want to be in. And I think that's the success of any good movie is regardless of whether it's a scary movie or a fun movie or a comedy or a drama, romantic comedy, whatever, if it creates a, a world that you would love to actually enter, then it is succeeding at an elite level. Because there's a lot of movies that I really dig, but I'm like, I don't know that I'd want to be there. I want to be there for every inch of this film. Yep. I, I think creating that aesthetic, creating that pacing is just an incredible job. And it can't go overlooked because she made it look easy. It's definitely not easy. It's incredibly hard. <laughs> it's the hard that makes it great. The other thing I want to talk about, and I was happy to hear, because we hadn't talked about this movie very much, that you said you thought it was a perfect film, because I know you, and I know you don't really give a shit about baseball. No, it's not just, at all. You didn't not grow up with it? It's not your thing? I get it. That's, no. that's cool. Uh, we've gone to basketball games. We've gone to golf tournaments. We've gone to tennis tournaments. Uh, we've never asked each other to go to a baseball game. Uh, no, I would go for a Dodger dog and some Red Vines, but other than that, I'm, you know, whatever happens on the field, <laughs> uh, I don't care. Not super interested. So I obviously grew up playing baseball. I, I played a bunch of different sports, uh, but baseball was my favorite from when I was like four years old. And this movie captures baseball so perfectly, like only a couple of other movies do. Baseball has time that plays against it as far as watching it on television. But when you're participating in it, the slowness of baseball creates this own, its own ecosystem where sights and smells and sound and touch become far more important than any other sport I ever played. So, you know, basketball to me is about the speed. 
Uh, it's about the movement, the choreography of, of different plays and the athleticism. But, you know, I never got, like, addicted to the smell of a basketball. In baseball, like, I can smell this movie when I watch it. I know <laughs> what the dugout smells like. And that, that goes to the set decoration, the location scouting, uh, all of that. I, I know what seeds on the ground and tobacco in the dugout smells like. I know what that dust on your uniform and your hands have some pine tar on them. I know what it smells like. I know what it feels like when you hit a ball square. And those sounds are so integral to what makes baseball great. And it takes time to develop that. I love when they get to this the uh, to Harvey Field, which is Wrigley Field, obviously, at the beginning. And you see some players warming up. You've got Rosie O'Donnell doing a trick with the bat. Later, you know, they show her throwing two different baseballs, which she was actually able to do. That's the sort of stuff you just kind of, you have that community, you have that time in a baseball practice or during the course of a season to develop this kind of totally different subculture. And I love it. And this movie is so rich in that. And it brings out this emotional response in me where I just, I can feel the movie. I can taste it. I can smell it. I can hear it. And that is what makes this movie so, so perfect, is being able to evoke that emotion out of somebody. I didn't play pro ball or anything, but I played 10 plus years of baseball, and I just miss it. Like, I miss baseball when I watch this movie. When I watch Summer Catch, I miss the 90s because they were interesting. But <laughs> when I watch this, I'm like, I just want to play. You know, I, I've caught with those gloves because, you know, picked up an old glove at like a consignment shop. And tried to play with those old gloves and, and bats that had bigger handles back in the day. You know, the bats in the 40s and 50s had much bigger handles than they have now. The swings were different. The throwing motions were different. The catching uh, motions were different. And you see all that in this movie. And I, I'm sorry to keep going on and on about it, but that's, to me, in addition to all the filmmaking aspects of it, that is the biggest accomplishment in this movie, is it can take somebody who doesn't care about baseball and love this movie, and somebody who loves baseball and love the movie. That's an impossible needle to thread. And very few movies have been able to do it. And this one absolutely just does it like like it's nothing. It's like watching Federer hit a forehand or something. It doesn't look hard. You know it's hard. Yeah. It, it just didn't look... It, there's no effort on the screen unless we're talking about Madonna acting in this movie. <laughs> Let's talk about Madonna real quick. Well, I have to respond to what you just said real quick. Okay, and yes. And my only response is... Baseball, Ray. <laughs> People will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Very well said, my friend. Very well said. Um, I don't have that kind of passion about anything other than, you know, let's say tennis, I would say. But I never grew up playing any sports like that. It's it's sad. You know, I played some basketball and stuff. But now I want to go back and play baseball. I'll never be able to. And that's upsetting. But whatever. I can enjoy this film. Well, and, and the thing about, like, the different <laughs> sports I played, like, even golf is, is, it takes a long time. Like, it's another one of those sports that takes forever, but it has smells, and, and it's it's more of a sound sport to me. The Christmas of a golf shot uh, is something like no other, but baseball just has so many different elements that they exist in a slower environment, and it, it's, it's in, if you, if you grew up with it, whether you played it or you just loved watching it, it, it just gets in you. And once it's in you, there's no, there's nothing you can do about it. Well, I, it was in you from the start because I mean, you got it from your dad. Just like everybody else. <laughs> we know that. Oh, throwing heat, man. You went after both parents and we're not a half an hour into this thing. <laughs> Let's talk about since on the heels of the baseball talk, 
What would you say they got right about baseball in the film? A a lot. You know, they got a ton of the action correct, uh, the culture, the tension of playing baseball, which I think is difficult because you only have a set number of minutes to play within a movie. And baseball being that longer that longer game, it's hard to just be like every play is two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Because then you're not building tension. You're just showing me the last play. Yep. Whereas in basketball, the whole game happens for the most part in the last 30 seconds. So for most basketball games, you can just show the end of that. I think they do an amazing job at showing you the importance of a play, the importance of an inning, the importance of a game, and then the, the, the season as a whole. So I think building that tension, they get it a lot right. With respect to like how it looks, the baseball looks good. I think you have to give uh, a little leeway with respect to the type of equipment they were playing. Uh, Penny Marshall was very adamant that we're going to use as close to possible as accurate gloves, bats, and other equipment that they used in the 40s. As I mentioned earlier, I've caught with those types of gloves. I've hit with those types of bats. It totally changed my swing to hit with a bat whose handle was wider than the handle that I was used to. It totally changed the way I caught a ball because the glove didn't have the webbing that I was used to. The mm. leather even felt different. The stitching felt different. It was, you know, softer in the middle, stiffer on the outside. And so you're using sort of two hands to cup it, unlike what I was used to doing with modern equipment. But I thought the baseball looked really, really good. I didn't have much of an issue with the speed of it either. You see some slower throws or you see whatever. But I also think, and maybe this is just my experience with it, coming from softball, which is where all these players were coming from, to baseball, that's a different ball, that's a different throw. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be an adjustment period between throwing a baseball and throwing a softball. Like, I struggled when I started playing, like, church league softball, like every out-of-shape, middle-aged guy does to get (laughs) get back to glory days, just play slow-pitch softball. I I struggled when I first started to, like, throw a softball because I'd never thrown one before. And I was like, well, this is, like, my motion has to be different. Like, this is just a kind of a different world to me. But... I think they got a lot of it right. I don't have any gripes with it the way that you would in in other movies. Yeah, and again, I don't have the baseball background. I've only seen a little bit of baseball in my life. I mean, I know what a cutoff man is, mainly from this film. (laughs) But But I would say... Poor Evelyn. Poor Evelyn. (laughs) I would say the action looks very authentic to me. And it's it's rare because I've seen movies where it, it doesn't, where it looks awful. As I mentioned earlier... They always go the quick cut route. Yep. And you're like, well, that player wasn't even over there. How did that happen? And so that to me is what they absolutely got right about it. Um, is it crazy to you? And this is real. There were only four teams. So two in Wisconsin, one in Indiana, and one in Illinois. Yep. And they were just on the bus all the time going between these areas. That's just insane, right? And and when you have a World Series with four teams that finally, you know, two of them make it. I mean, and the fact that it's real is just it's just crazy to me that that actually happened that way. I mean, they were just going to the same place over and over. You're playing a doubleheader. I mean, okay. Right. <laughs> I mean, we, yeah. we're not going to play one team, I guess, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I didn't actually look up. I tried to look up as much as I could while knowing that we needed to concentrate on the movie, but also wanting to know a little bit more about this particular league. I didn't read anything specifically about their travel, but I, could, I they had to like meet 
at two different ballparks or, or have multiple teams drive to Rockford and then we all play in Rockford for a little bit and then let's hop on the buses and go to Racine and then South Bend and, you know, Kenosha or whatever. So that that's how I kind of picture it. Although the league did expand as it got older. Yep, and, yep. you know, one of the big differences is they actually started as a softball league. The first season wasn't a baseball league. They changed the ball like three times. It started as a softball, and then they went to a softball-baseball hybrid that was a little bigger than a baseball, a little smaller than a softball. And then they finally got to a baseball where they had overhand pitching. Um, I like that because that particular element is not important. Yeah. I like that they totally skipped that particular piece of historical accuracy, which I will always want you to sacrifice a little bit of historical accuracy to serve the larger point of the movie. Agreed. And when you've got Lori Petty there who can pitch more than most major leaguers do in an entire season, yeah. then why not utilize her, right? And and that that came to another like question that we had talked about, but also we got asked, which was, you know, sort of who was the best player or who looked like the best player, right? Yeah. Um, who, who did you have for that? I honestly had for the judging it purely on the film without having any backstory behind the players. Rosie looks the most comfortable to me throughout the film in everything she does on the field. So I'm going with Rosie O'Donnell. Yep. And I had Rosie and Lori Petty. They were like one in one A. It yeah. was they they had what appeared to be natural motion on the field. Because I think that a lot of people can be taught to throw and catch, but there's a natural movement when you get onto the field or on a basketball court or on a tennis court or whatever it is. There's footwork involved that if you've never done it before will always look a little foreign. And it appeared to me that Rosie and Lori had played some ball. And here's the thing. I've played basketball in a in a work league. And one of the guys, I think I might have mentioned this before. So apologies if this is a, I'm repeating this story. One of the guys had a camera. He liked to record the games. And every now and then, you know, we, we watch it. And the first time I saw it, I was like, okay, I'm that guy who doesn't look like he knows how to run or do anything. But at the time, I feel like I'm Federer or I feel like I'm MJ or I feel, so that's, that's something that you really can't underestimate or undervalue is how much work it takes to actually look like you are a baseball player, which is just such a common sight to see. And I'm not talking about a softball player because I think it, it seems like the motions are different. Things are, things are different. The bats may be different, all that kind of stuff. All of these women in the movie looked like real baseball players. And it's it's crazy because it's not an easy thing to do. You have one idea in your head of, yeah, I'm doing this and inside out forehand looks fucking amazing. And then you see it and you're like, how do I stand upright? <laughs> how do I not just fall I over sh- all the time? I, don't I know shouldn't be allowed on. to walk in public. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I also want to give credit. I know Gina Davis came in late to the process. And she says in an interview that like she found her athletic gifts in this movie as they move forward. Cause she actually went to the Olympic trials in archery. So she's got like hand eye coordination. She's, she's oh, wow. an athletic yeah. person, but she's yeah. like training for this movie is what sort of unearthed those talents in me. And she looks good. She's, she doesn't look the oh, best, yeah. but she looks really good. The throwing motion is spectacular for somebody who picked up the game for this movie. And I do want to mm-hmm. talk really quickly uh, since we talked about her com- coming in late to the process sort of a what could have been because the casting uh, possibilities in this movie were enormous. Did you did you look up any of this? I saw a few of those and I was very surprised because I can't honestly picture anyone else in these roles. 
I just want to tick off, you know, because there's like six different characters that had multiple people that were either up for or considered for the roles. And this is a rare situation where I don't want to see any other movie than the movie I got. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for Dottie, Deborah Winger was apparently the leader in the clubhouse. She was the one who had the role. And then when Madonna signed on, she was like, peace is the word in multiple articles that I read. And I'm like, oh, interesting. I don't know that I would have wanted to see this movie with Deborah Winger, but that makes a lot more sense as to why they cast Lori Petty. Yeah. Yeah. From a aesthetic. Yes, exactly. I, I would not have bought Deborah Winger as the best player in the league. No. There's something about Gina Davis's stature that sells it all perfectly. Can we do Gina Davis corner real quick? Absolutely. It's it's well, I mean, if you listen to the Thelma and Louise episode, my feelings for Gina Davis are well stated. Um, she is a perfect person, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, a yep. wonderful actress. You said it very well. She not just brings a stature to every role that she's ever had, but there is an in, there's just a strength and intelligence and earnestness to everything that she does to where you're just like, I trust that person. I trust what they're doing with me. I trust what they're saying. And she also is like the most gorgeous person for 20 years. It's insane. Mm-hmm. It's just insane. And this movie for me is like the sexiest movie I've ever seen. Because <laughs> as, as a quick aside with Cole's childhood, I was a catcher. That was my position from the time I was like eight until my knees got shot uh, from an injury in high school. And I had two catching heroes. I had Crash Davis from Bull Durham, <laughs> and I had Dottie Henson from A League of Their Own because I grew up a Cubs fan, and the Cubs were not good when I grew up. <laughs> and so when I was growing up, I was like, I could be Damon Barry Hill or Jody Davis. That's right. None of you have heard those names before. Or I could be Crash Davis or Dottie Henson. And so that's like what I wanted to be. I wanted to shit talk like Crash Davis. I wanted to be an unstoppable force like Dottie Henson. And like the sexiest scene in any movie I've ever seen is when Rosie O'Donnell throws a ball at her. She stands there like a statue, catches it with her bare hand, flips it to her, gives her this little look that would have murdered me. (laughs) The fact that Rosie O'Donnell was able to continue walking, that would have floored me. And I was just like, that's I'll never... I'll never see something sexier than that. It's crazy. And uh, so, yeah, those were my catching heroes. And I've been all in on Gina Davis forever. And that's going to come up in recommendations because I'm actually going to recommend for you a Gina Davis movie that hasn't come out yet. That's how much I'm on the Gina Davis uh, fan train for life. Can I go over my catching heroes growing up? (laughs) No, you can't. Because okay. because you're gonna ask me to name every catcher in the National League since 1978. Well, no, I was I was just gonna say like obviously Johnny Bench, sure, the hand, sure, and the Blue Emu, <laughs> and Shane Victorino. <sighs> it's gotta be oh, number one, dude. Piece of shit asshole. Hate that motherfucker <laughs> so much. Uh, Shane, it's nothing personal. It really isn't. Uh, it is. It's not. It is. I hate that guy. He doesn't know He's who you. Awful. He doesn't know who you are. It's okay. Shane Victorino, man. He thinks worst he, fucking catcher ever. He thinks you were a catcher in the American League in like 1984. So don't. Yeah. Don't sweat it. Yeah. He like he fucked up Oral Hershiser somehow, and I <laughs> never forgive him for it. So, uh, just Gina Davis, perfect Dottie Henson. I can't even imagine. I don't want anybody else in that role. Today, if they were casting the movie, I'd be like. 
get Gina Davis back. Bring Gina Davis yep. in. <laughs> uh, but other people that were up for it, it's crazy. Brooke Shields was up. Sean Young. Demi Moore. Jennifer Jason Lee. Allie Sh- Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. Ali Sheedy. Kelly Mag- oh, Jesus. Kelly McGillis. Obviously. Uh, Sally Field. Which that's insane to me. I would. I want actually. I'm sorry. I want to see it. I want to see Sally Field. I want to see the Flying Nun as a fucking catcher and the best player in the league. And Nicole Kidman was the other name that I saw that was in discussions or at least approached about possibly playing this role. Not since Rowan Gardner has the strike zone been so small as it would be for Sally Field. <laughs> So for May, for for Madonna's character, there was all the way May. There was Barbara Hershey, and let's not like okay. Madonna is a perfectly fine actress. She's just really overacting in this movie. Is she though? Is she a perfectly fine actress? Yeah, she's fine. I just never believed her in anything she's been in. Yeah, that's my biggest problem with her. I'm sorry, but I will tell you this: Michelle Pfeiffer was apparently up for the role. That's a really cool part. Oh, yeah, that is. Oh, yeah. That would uh-huh. have been a really cool part. I would have liked that. We need some We need some cool writers, man. Everybody needs Stephanie Zanoni. What, uh-huh. what did Hollywood not understand? Like, if, if she didn't have time to do the role, there were scheduling conflicts, then your movie needed to work around that conflict. Yep. Because Michelle Pfeiffer should have been in 155 movies in the 90s. She's so perfect. Yeah, yeah, she's really good. Can we have Michelle Pfeiffer corner for one second here? <laughs> Yes. Michelle Pfeiffer is perfect. This concludes Michelle Pfeiffer Corner. <laughs> yes. I'm also very pumped, and this is not joking at all, when we do Grease 2. I don't think there will be a Grease episode of this podcast, but there will definitely be <laughs> no. a Grease 2 episode of this podcast. Which will be a two-parter, most likely. Yeah. Uh, I unabashedly <laughs> love that film. Me too. It's, this, it's as far superior film to Grease. I, I can tell you, I enjoy it way more. That's all. I, look, I'm not look watching Grease for quality. So there were actually people up for Ernie as well. Like somebody other than Lovitz. But here is exactly why you did not need to go any further down the list than John Lovitz. Oh, doesn't that hurt them? Doesn't seem to. That would bruise the hell out of me. The train moves, not the station. Hey, cowgirls, see the grass? Don't eat it. It's been a thin slice of heaven. Goodbye. Wait, you're going? Ah, dry your eyes. Yeah, I'm just going home, grab a shower and a shave, give the wife a little pickle tickle, and I'm on my way. I'll see you. (laughs) It's, it's, It's too fucking perfect. It's like, it's too good. And the other names on the list are dudes that were like good, like John Candy, was considered. It would have been fine. Would have been great, but like nobody's nobody pulls off Lovitz the way he Lovitz does. I mean, get these wild animals away from me is <laughs> is like the third best line, but it's the best line in any other movie. 
You know what I mean? And the way he says it. You see, the way it works is the train moves, <laughs> not the station. But. When the dad's saying, she's got an eye like DiMaggio, and he's like, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. Do you know General Omar Bradley? Too strong of resemblance. But it's, it's unbelievable to have a character who's in it for like five minutes have that much of an impact. That's perfect casting. Yes, absolutely. Everything he says is perfect. For Hinson, two weird names. Did you see these? No. Liam Neeson and Robert De Niro. Really? For for Bill Pullman's part. And uh, for those of you out huh. there, I think everybody out there knows Aaron. We were texting about this movie, and I was watching it, and I just texted him, like, I just, this movie is just perfect. It's too good of a movie. I'm almost, like, nervous to do this. Her response was, well, it's a Bill Pullman movie. What did you expect? So... <laughs> Obviously, she's in the penalty box for a while for calling my Gina Davis movie a Bill Pullman movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. Can you imagine Robert De Niro doing like an under five in this movie? (laughs) I think that speaks to how much people loved Penny Marshall. That there was even discussion of Robert De Niro, who obviously she had the connection from Awakenings. Yeah. Um, I just, everything I read, people loved Penny Marshall. They loved working for Penny Marshall, and they would have done anything for Penny Marshall. All right, sidebar here. De Niro, obviously one of the greatest actors of all time. Yeah. When has he been good with a woman in a film? When has he had chemistry with an actress? Have you not seen Bad Grandpa with Aubrey Plaza? (laughs) I think you made my point for me. (laughs) Yeah, no, he would have been a train wreck in this film. Just, oh, God, yes. Just awful. Like, <laughs> yeah. my man Pullman yeah. kills it as Mr. Henson. Because that's Bill Pullman, and that's Bill Pullman's yeah. pocket right there. good-looking dude, looks like somebody who got sniped in World War II and came home. Like, that is 100% <laughs> yeah. his lane. Looks like someone that you're like, I guess I'll go home with him. I'm not excited about it. <laughs> Let's turn around halfway to Oregon, because yeah. I got to go play a game. Yeah, if we're going to... I don't even know, because... <laughs> I don't think they're broadcasting these games on the radio that they're extending that far. Maybe we're in a game seven, maybe we're not, but I'm turning around no matter what. It's worth a shot because once I get to Oregon, it's over. Yeah, we're going to, we want to have kids. Do you though? Do you really, Dottie? By the way. Because you're a great actress, Gina, but you are not selling that at all. Well, what I loved about it was when uh, Stillwell is freaking out outside the bus and she just looks down at Evelyn and goes, yeah, I hope I have five just like him. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. It's so good. I mean, she's so good. I would like to discuss that real quick. Let me get through the rest of these casting iffies. We had Walken was supposed to be Walter Harvey. Yeah, couldn't afford him. Moira Kelly was supposed to be Kit. Oh, God. Uh, Angelica Houston and Isabella Rossellini were up for Doris. That's interesting. Well, Doris was originally written as like a sex cat the same way that May was. It was supposed to be two really pretty, sexy ladies. Two taxi dancers? Exactly. Uh, but Rosie's just awesome. Like, she's so good in this movie. Oh, she's, she's perfect. It, yeah, it's incredible. And I then, argue, I would say she's the glue in many ways. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah she's she's kind of true north as far as the team is concerned. And then I had to get this. I was hoping you saw this. Did you see the list of Jimmy Dugan possibilities? Mm-mm. Because I saw the list, but I didn't want to click on it because there's no one else who could have played Jimmy Dugan. I totally agree with you. Uh, we're going to get to that in just one second. <laughs> I'm going to go from worst to first on this list. Okay, worst, I'm very excited. The worst possible Jimmy Dugan 
would have been Jim Belushi. Oh, God. Oh, God. Mr. Destiny. No. No. The second worst, Brian Cranston. <laughs> I very much like Brian Cranston. I love Brian Cranston. That would not have worked. Nah. The third name that I saw that was up for Jimmy Dugan, Michael J. Fox. I could see it. Yeah. No, it. you that can't. Works. No, you can't. I see no, it on your face. Works. You're lying. Don't lie to no, the audience, that's, man. No, that would have been perfect. Look, the man is a treasure. He can do anything. <laughs> he is a and... treasure, but he has to stand there and say, yes, I was a monster home run hitting. <laughs> yes. Totally. I totally. Oh, oh come on. What you? about that, that cheater from... Uh, from the Astros, who doesn't want them to tear his jersey off. Uh, uh, what's his name? You know, the guy, they'd say he was wearing a wire or something, and that's yeah, how they Al- won the World Series. Altuve. Altuve. Yeah, I know. Altuve. Yeah. That's, he's, he's, about, he's about four foot two, just like Michael J. Which is three feet taller than Michael J. Fox. <laughs> so, no. But uh, those were the three names. Oh, I can had. you imagine? Can you imagine Michael J. Fox giving a <laughs> There's No Crying in Baseball speech while he's looking up at Evelyn? <laughs> Stillwell just punches him in the face. Stillwell towers over the man, and I love the man. Okay, so but he would have pulled it off because he can. He can do anything. He would have been the best of those three options, but there yes. is nobody who's Jimmy Dugan except Tom Hanks. And now I think we need to lead into something that the listeners are not aware of, but you have told me. So why don't you take it away with Mr. Tom Hanks in this film? Tom Hanks is an extraordinary actor. People may say that of his generation, he is the best actor. I don't know if you agree with that. I think that that's a solid argument. They will point to his Academy Award winning performances in Forrest Gump and Philadelphia. They'll point to you to his Academy Award snubbed performances in Apollo 13 or Castaway. Even Captain Phillips, he's incredible. This is the best Tom Hanks performance there has ever been. He has never been better in a film than this movie and i don't think i'm even close to wrong okay i don't really have anything to say to it other than i disagree but it is one of his top five performances so i looked this up because as i was watching this film i was thinking to myself how on earth did he not get nominated for this movie then i looked up the oscar this was a good year in film so mm-hmm. this is this is what he would have been up to in a supporting role category. Gene Hackman, who won for Unforgiven. Jay Davidson, uh, nominated for The Crying Game, which is an excellent film. Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men. <laughs> Al Pacino in Glengarry Glen Ross. Uh-huh. And then David Paymer in Mr. Saturday Night, which is a very, very good performance. Yeah. I think there is zero chance Tom Hanks wins, but I think you who probably... Who do you bump? Who do you bump? It would have to be Pamer, but I don't even feel great about that. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's a tough one, man. That's a tough fucking year. That's a that's a murderer's row year, but I still think this is the best performance Tom Hanks has ever given because playing drunk that convincingly and not going over the top, not being what people think drunk is, but actually doing it that well. It's like him and when Robert Downey Jr. did it in Chaplin. Mm. But other than that, like great actors are just brutally bad at doing that. And for him to have to play that spectrum through the whole movie is incredible. And he's funny and he's endearing and he's awful, but you root for him. And, and really the emotional 
spectrum that he goes through. You see, like, I love that quick cut you talked about with having the African-American lady throw the ball so we get the nod to the fact that it's a segregated league. That very quick scene with him at the batting cages where he know like, that's his trying to remember who he is. Who who could I be? Do I still have anything? That that internal moment, but we don't we don't sit there for five minutes. No, and what the way that he's swinging, which he also looks good with a bat. Hands are a little high, but he looks good with a bat in his hands. And <laughs> you know when he just kind of rolls over it, he's like ah double play. I'm like that's yeah. Like I, like I say stupid shit to myself like that when I'm at the batting cage, and I've never played professional baseball. And I'm slow, which means I hit into a lot of double plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't find the gap like me. It's okay. Yeah, it's, you know. <laughs> takes time. Well, takes time. Takes when, time. When we saw Baby Jed, I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> Skipping right past that one. <laughs> but it, it's just so good, man. It's so incredibly good. And I just think because he has this, like, nonstop, I didn't have a bad movie for 15 years it gets a little overlooked, particularly because it's 92 and you're sitting there right in the middle of back-to-back Oscars and we got Apollo 13 coming up and yeah. Saving Private no, Ryan he, in the late 90s and all that. He's absolutely amazing in this film. His character, you're rooting for him. He's broken, but you want him to fix himself. And he's not ever mean to the women. He treats them like ball players, even though he says, I don't have ball players, I've got girls, you know. But he doesn't demean them, right? He's not even in the joking scene where he walks in to the locker room. He's like, "Oh, you guys are already dressed." How does he manage to say that and it doesn't come off creepy? Yeah, it, it it's only somebody like it has to be the right actor because there's a million actors that I like that go in and say that line the exact same way. But I'm like, eh, it's a little skeezy. It's a little dirty. But yeah, he- Jake Busey, I'm with you. <laughs> That's usually who you're comparing with, Jake Busey and Tom Hanks. <laughs> but because it's Tom Hanks and, you know, he's America's dad and all that stuff, you're just like, yeah, it just come it just fucking works. It just it totally works. works. And there there's a there's a part in it where you sort of think, are they gonna get together? Are they not gonna get together? Um, do I even want them to get together? And the whole point of like thinking, do I even want them to get together is solely because Tom Hanks is the one playing the role. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you're just like, yep. I wouldn't hate it. Now, I do like, um, I'm sure you saw this, where they had the love story that was in it. Yep, totally. Yep. Did you see Adam why they... Kiss. You see, see why they cut it? It didn't play well, right? Like, So what I read was they screened it for some of the players that were in the league. And they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Her husband's at war and she's hooking up with the coach? Yeah. I don't think so. That's crazy. And to Penny Marshall's credit, she was like, get rid of it. Done. Yeah, but, you know, if it was Michael J., obviously we would have had them. At least he had his brief cameo as the kid driving Dottie to the bar. Funny story about Doll Body Kid. (laughs) Because I did my research. This is what I do for you guys. He never acted again. Really? He was awesome. I looked. It's really good. And I'm like, wait a minute. This was the mid-90s. He could have had shots and a river runs through it. Uh Uh, There's a lot of 1920s to 1940s movies that were going on there. Doll body kid, no other listings on his IMDb. He could have been a duck. I honestly think he could have been a duck. Great call. How was he not a duck? Yeah, probably probably got discouraged when he lost out on that Newsies role or something, and that was also it. should have been in Newsies. I, you know, he probably walked over from the Newsies set with Bill Pullman. 
<laughs> I, I could go on about Tom Hanks, you know, forever, but he's amazing. He's a national treasure. He is a national. Let's treasure. transition to something not as amazing, and that's Madonna. Now, I'm going to read a letter that Madonna wrote to a friend of hers. Yes. And if you think that Madonna's character and her performance not great in this film, maybe this letter will shed some light on that. So, this is Madonna. I cannot suffer any more than I have in the past month. Learning how to play baseball with a bunch of girls, yuck. In Chicago, double yuck. I have a tan, I'm dirty all day, and I hardly ever wear makeup. Penny Marshall, Laverne, Gina Davis is a Barbie doll, and when God decided where the beautiful men were going to live in the world, he did not choose Pekin. I'm Chicago. I have made a few friends, but they are athletes, not actresses. They have nothing on the house of extravaganza. I wish I could come to New York. Now, that's some strong words from Madonna. And from my partner in crime. <laughs> Hurtful. That's a, I don't know what kind of mistake that was. I think she crossed that out in the letter. and I, I'm just reading it verbatim. <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. <laughs> but this totally explains why she's not good in the movie, okay? She's not bad, though. That's the thing. No. It's totally passable. Everyone else props her up. Yeah, it doesn't take away from the movie at all. It doesn't take away at all, but when she's talking and when she's... So what am I going to do? Go back to taxi dancing so some guy can drip gin all over? What are you talking about? What, what are you ta- I looked up taxi dancing. As far as I can ascertain, men pay you to dance with them. Not a lap dance. Not to have sex with them. They just pay you to be their dance partner. Now, I'm not saying that's not awful, but the overacting and dramatic nature with which she delivers that, she overdoes it. I'm sorry. She overdoes it for taxi dancing. Yeah, the the scene, regardless of what the subject is, the scene is just way overplayed. Yes. Uh, And I think she also, you know, wrote that letter partly because Gina Davis is throwing 150 miles an hour and just she's getting dunked on in every scene every day and i think when she's on the set with that many people just bringing heat it feels like she was sort of like oh you know maybe this isn't the perfect fit for me because i also read some other articles where some people did interviews with her where she you know didn't want to go out and interact with anybody she didn't you know they had to move her she was supposed to play third base they moved her to the outfield because she didn't quite have the the baseball skills necessary to, to play there. And it just sounds like overall she had a terrible fucking time making this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, we didn't have to have any sort of reshoot or get her out of the movie or whatever. It does not ruin the movie. And, no. you know, the dance sequence at the Suds Bucket, that's a great sequence. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And really, the dan- her dancing with those guys is great, but that's another one of those great Penny Marshall scenes where you get so much information in five minutes. And oh, yeah. And there's no, like, direct dialogue either. It's not like we sit down with Kit and see her interacting with that guy for a while. Although I do want to ask, why at the end of the night is his whole shirt unbuttoned? Yeah, not sure on that. I'm not sure on that. I'm also not sure about if they intentionally showed the first man to ever do meth, which is Kit's boyfriend in the Oregon League, screaming her name through the fence. Yep. The great actor Gregory Sporletter, who's been in several things. He was in True Romance, and I believe he was in The Rock as well. I was going to say, don't skip The Rock. 
I can't skip The Rock, obviously. <laughs> he was also on uh, an episode of Smallville. Um, there you but, go. But, I mean, that is meth right there. <laughs> right in. I couldn't believe I'm watching it going, I mean, shit, Oregon had meth in the fucking 40s. This well, is crazy. Willamette Valley, did you never play Oregon Trail? You die of diphtheria, <laughs> you die of typhus, you die of rattlesnakes, or you die of meth. That's die what was meth. on my CD-ROM. <laughs> Oh, hashtag peak and wisdom. I love it. <laughs> so, obviously, everybody, like the big stars, just everybody came to play. It was just yeah. unbelievable performance after unbelievable performance. But we also have what I think holds the whole thing together uh, from an ensemble standpoint is the bit characters that don't necessarily have a ton of talking screen time, but that are actually on the screen a ton. Your Tracy Reiners, which is Penny Marshall's uh, daughter, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you got as as you would say the best Cusack. I would say Ann Cusack has her moments. She might be best Cusack. Yep, yep. As Charlie Biker, <laughs> <laughs> she she's an underused actress, right? Totally, totally underused. Totally underused. We'll be getting back to her in recommendations in a little bit. Of course, of course. We we've had a lot of corners. Tom Hanks, Gina Davis corner. There's an Ann Cusack <laughs> corner coming up for you guys. But yeah, everybody who played. These bit parts, whether it's like David Strathairn, and I think we always forget that David Strathairn was a that guy. Yeah, for, yeah, forever. River Wild, yeah, all of it. Until Good Night and Good Luck, he was mm-hmm. the dude who kind of looked maybe like Ben Kingsley. And <laughs> that's sort of it. It's good call. Good but fucking call. Rosie O'Donnell, unbelievably good. Megan Cavanaugh's Marla Hooch, incredible. We talked about Lovitz, we talked about Pullman, but. Biddy Schramm, I think she has to get a standout, and she has to get a standout because of her performance in this scene. Say, hey, Evelyn, can I ask you a question? You got a moment? Mm-hmm. Which team do you play for? Well, I- I'm a peach. Well, I was just wondering, because I couldn't figure out why you would throw home when we've got a two-run lead. You let the tying run get on second, and we lost the lead because of you. Now you start using your head. That's that love that's three feet above your ass. <laughs> Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Why don't you leave her alone, Jimmy? Oh, you zip it, Doris. Rogers Hornsby was my manager, and he called me a talking pile of pig shit. And that was when my parents drove all the way down from Michigan to see me play the game. And did I cry? No, no. No! No! And you know why? No. Because there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball! No crying! What's the matter, Jimmy? What? She's crying, sir. I didn't mean to do that. Perhaps you chastised her too vehemently. Good rule of thumb. Treat each of these girls as you would treat your mother. You want to ever tell you look like a penis with a little hat on? Oh my goodness. You're out of here! Oh, no, right no, no, now, no, Jimmy, you, I heard you that! Misunderstood. You seconds. misunderstood me! No, I you misunderstood me! You can't throw me out for that! No, you got to straight out! The best And that is that one! I can't believe no one ever told you that before! So, as a baseball person, uh, who has made an error or two on the field and been yelled at mercilessly by coaches, I relate a lot to this particular scene. 
I come at this because of my memories as a baseball player and getting yelled at outside of dugouts. And I cannot stop hysterically laughing, partly because of my own memories and partly because of how just not quite over the line to abusive it really gets. But he plays it for humor. It's not humorous necessarily because of what he says, but he like tells on her at the end. Like it's softened by the fact that he's genuinely confused as to why she's crying. Mm-hmm. When he looks at the umpire and goes, but she's crying, sir. He's like, <laughs> it's like he's telling on his younger sister. Yep. yep. It's like, dad, I know, but like, geez. And that to me is the funniest aspect of that entire sequence. But Biddy Schramm, who plays Evelyn, breaks down in a perfect way. So happy you said that because you're absolutely right. I think Hanks gets all the attention, the lines, everything. But watch her next time you watch this film because I've never seen crying that good and that great of a breakdown. It's the timing is perfection and her, oh God, it's, it's, I can't even describe it because it's so fucking good. Because if her reaction to that is different, then your reaction to what he is saying is different. Mm -hmm. If she immediately starts bawling or doesn't cry at all or whatever it is or cries at a different pace, it doesn't work. And that whole scene only works because of her perfect performance. And she just totally gets passed over because of, as you said, the lines and the reaction uh, from the ump and all that stuff. It is the most famous scene in the movie. I don't know how it's number 54 on the greatest lines ever in American cinema. That's ridiculous. That's a top tenner. Oh, totally. Totally. Hey, I don't I didn't look at the list, but I did see that it was ranked 54. I'm like, don't care that I, I now have no respect for your list. Do you always throw to the cutoff man when you're in the outfield? Is yeah. that like number one? It's situational. It's also, you know, depends on where the runner is because there's no point in firing at home. The cutoff gives you more options. Okay. If you're Bo Jackson, do you ever throw to the cutoff man? You throw everybody's out. Everybody gets thrown out. <laughs> it's very impressive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. God, he was so good. That 30 uh, for 30 is fucking amazing. <laughs> but, but yeah, Biddy Strom, fantastic. Thank you for doing that performance the way it is because that scene is... I've seen it 50 times and I'll never get sick of seeing it. It's perfect. And the scene at the end, showing the evolution. Yes. Is gold to show that. And, I mean, Hanks is acting there. Is oh. I know we've been talking about it, but oh my god! Yep. How is it that perfect? How yep. is that not slapstick? See, Jim Carrey. I know you love him. I, I love do. him too. Yeah. Would have gone way over the top of that, and would have gone liar liar. Wouldn't have worked. It's it's perfect. Here's how you can rate this performance. Just think, what would Jim Belushi have done? <laughs> it's it's those scenes. Oh. The the first time we see Hanks is 35 minutes into the movie. Mm hmm. And when he shows up and he's like, oh, I can't see. Like, he's just coming out of a club. And he's got the little paper on his face. Great choice yep. by whoever made that choice. I'm going to give the credit to Penny Marshall. The the little where where he clipped himself shaven and he's got the toilet paper on the they face. They got that twice in the film. It's yeah. at the end as well. Like, even when he's got his shit together. It's, it's, it's a genius choice. It is. And when he's like, when he delivers this line. I hurt my knee. You fell out of a hotel. That's how you hurt it. There was a fire. Which you started, which I had to pay for. Well, now, I was going to send you a thank you card, Mr. Harvey, but I wasn't allowed anything sharp to write with. It's it's earnest, but it's hilarious. He has, it's, 
It's the best performance. I'm going to stop saying it, but it's the best, best he's ever been. Which brings us to a question that a bunch of people asked, which is, and I don't know if they're asking it jokingly or not, but is there crying in baseball? <laughs> you know what the answer to that question is? It's taken from someone who's watched only a handful of baseball games <laughs> and played Little League a couple times. Gotcha. Oh. Oh, yeah. No, you didn't know. Yeah. I didn't no. know. Yeah. They put the best players in right field, right? Is that correct? Is that what I'm... That's what I've, That's where Rowan Gardner started, and he's got a ring. So that's There you go. Um, I can safely say, yeah, there's fucking crying in baseball. <laughs> Absolutely. I've seen major leaguers cry like little fucking babies. <laughs> there is so much crying in baseball. There is more crying in baseball than like any other sport. And you can you can say that oh well that's not crying well it, there's at least a lot of really ridiculous toxically masculine tantrum throwing so yes there is an enormous amount of crying in baseball in fact a very fun YouTube uh, search is people crying in a baseball game Shane Victorino all the way <laughs> also that quote has a little historical context apparently Ron Santo Chicago Cub obviously said, <laughs> if he does that to me, I'll cry. That's apparently, there's some myth ah. that that's like the source of that particular quote. And Ron Santo, one of the nicest Cubs to ever play, but of course a Cub is the one who said that. But without question, there is crying in baseball. Ron Santo or Mark Grace, which one do you prefer? Amazing Grace. No question about it. <laughs> All right. Ron, Ron Santo finally made it into the Hall of Fame. He was a great broadcaster. He was a great third baseman. I didn't. I didn't grow up watching him, obviously, because he was in the the you know sixties and seventies. But Mark Grace, man, are you kidding me? I have his wedding napkin at my house. That's insane. Which marriage was this? This was the first one to Michelle. <laughs> okay. It's important for you to know. I didn't go. I just was <laughs> writing him letters and stuff as a kid. He was my pen pal, and got some signed cards. Got a wedding napkin. That's how that goes. Wow. Have I never told you this story? No, I never heard this. Oh, I was wearing my full Cubs, like, get up, jersey, Cubs pants, and the game at the Mine and Field in Peoria, the Chiefs Stadium, got rained out, and we went to, like, Chili's or something, and his mother-in-law-to-be was there. Wow. And she was like, she's like, who's your favorite player? I'm like, oh, Ryan Sandberg and Mark Grace. She's like, oh, really, Mark Grace? And she gave me, like, the address to, like, write him a letter or whatever, and then I wrote him a letter, he wrote me back, sent me some signed cards... Fucking 19-year-old Cole seeing <laughs> letters to Mark Grace. That is awesome, man. And I got to watch him win a World Series when I was living in Arizona. It's all good, man. He doesn't know it, but we're connected. Amazing Grace. Love Amazing it. Grace. What is the best baseball play in this film? That's a good question. I would say the first collision at the plate with Dottie. It's good baseball. The cutoff gets hit. Strike is thrown home. Dottie catches it. She, she's in the right position, which is if you're going to collide and you have the ball and you know the runner's going to run over you, you don't stand at the plate. That's a mistake in a lot of baseball movies mm. is you see a catcher with like a wide stance and they're at the plate and they're waiting for the collision. Well, they can slide under you and score. If you've got the ball and you have time, you actually walk up the third baseline. So no matter what, that runner either has to run around you, which means they're out because they're out of the baseline, or if they try to slide under you, they can't get under you and get all the way to the plate. So just the, the sheer mm. fundamentals of the play are really, really good. And when she she does the right thing, she's holding onto the ball with the bare hand. You don't just hold it in the glove. You hold it with the bare hand. You hold it to your chest. You take the hit. 
These days, it's not really allowed to bowl over or lower your shoulder like Kit would be thrown out today, although it was a perfectly valid play back then, and she did the right thing. I'm sure we will analyze the last play of the game. But that, to me, just all-around baseball play, fantastic. I mean, I agree. I have the last okay. play written down because it is. It's, it's perfection. You get the lead-up to it. Doris is telling everyone what's going on. We know exactly what Okay, so you like the is. last play. Game 7. Yeah, sorry. Okay, Kit, see, I, I was talking about the yes. first one where she doesn't drop the ball. Oh, oh, you're right. Okay, I think that was also against Racine. I mean, we got a you know one in right. three shot of uh, getting that. But uh, yeah, no, no. I I think the yeah. last play is see is my the problem one. with the last play. If we're just being, I have some strategic baseball problems, and that that is one of them. Okay. The last play, because uh, you know one of the things we talked about was what did they potentially get wrong. And there's, I have three things written down here with what they get wrong. And one of them has to do with the play that you're talking about. So the last play of the game, we've got, I believe it's a runner on first. It's runner on first or second, but I think it's first. Kit comes up, two outs, bottom of the ninth. Rockford Peaches are up by one. We're not afraid mm-hmm. to pitch to Kit because, A, we know she's been on our team. We know how you know what she likes, what she doesn't like. She's also an emotional wreck right now because she just gave up the the go ahead runs in the top of the ninth. That's right. They say, or, or Gina Davis does the the perfect thing, goes out and says, "Hey, give her high fastballs," which we set up in the very first scene of the movie. She can't lay mm-hmm. off them. She can't hit them. Two fastballs, high swing and a miss. O two, bottom of the ninth, runner on first. There is zero chance a pitcher throws a ball that is even close to hittable in that situation. That ball is either in the dirt or so high that if you did touch it with your bat, it could go nowhere. Like, that's just mm. baseball 101. If I've got you 0-2 in that situation, I'm not throwing you anything. If you're going to hit it that far, you're going to have to do something that's never been seen. You're going to have to Vlad Guerrero, the ball bounced off the ground, and I still somehow golfed it out. Shit. You're not, <laughs> you're not going just a little high in the zone. So that, to me, was a, a big problem. Uh, the other issue there is you've got two outs, bottom of the ninth, and I'm sorry I'm getting way into the baseball strategy here, but the, you know whatever. Uh, you got two outs, bottom of the ninth, tying run on first, winning run at the plate. You are playing what is called mm-hmm. no doubles depth, which means those outfielders are back way deeper than they would typically play, so that no matter what was hit, it drops in front of them. You you mm. cannot get burned over your head unless it's a home run. So. That strategy bothered me, but I'm also upset about the strategy in the top of the ninth, where we've got runners on second and third. Dottie Hinson is up to bat, who we have established is a very good hitter. Queen of Diamonds. And first base is open. Yeah. Walked every time. You are going to walk. There's no chance that you pitch to her. You put her on base. It gives you a force out at any base. You try to get out of the inning that way. There's no way that you pitch. Especially since we know Marla Hooch is gone. Well, that's what I wanted to get to is... They Rockford sweeps Racine if Marla and Dottie play in the World Series in yes. all the games. Y- right? I mean, just yes. done deal. Yes. Good. We're on the same page there. But other than that, I mean, the baseball's good. The baseball's really good. Yeah, the baseball is really good. And the film is amazing. Do you want to answer the question now that people didn't even know that they wanted to know the answer to, but the biggest question of the film, did Dottie drop the ball on purpose? Ooh. Would you like me to go first? Do you want to have the last word on this one? I'll take this first. I'll take I've been talking a lot. I'll take this first. Okay. I say she didn't. Okay. And the reason that I say I will back up my point. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you is will. that Dottie 
does a lot of acting. And, and when I say Dottie, I mean Gina Davis does a lot of performative acting without saying a bunch of stuff in this movie. And everything that she does tells you she wants to be the best at whatever she's doing. Whether it's walking home from the game, whether it's asking Jimmy Dugan on the bus, like, how good am I? I, I need to hear, I want to know how good I am. Whether it's, you think she came back for game seven to try and help Kit win? I don't buy that for a minute. I don't think she's upset that Kit wins, but I don't think in that moment she dropped the ball to allow Kit to win because there's been no evidence up to that point that she would change that part of her character because she had just reneged on that part of her character by driving all the way back from Yosemite. But I can be convinced. Very, very, very good points all around. And that's honestly, this is one of the, the many beauties of this film is that we can have this discussion and we can try to come to our own conclusions. I think she did drop it on purpose. And I will tell you why I think she dropped it on purpose. She, earlier to the play that you talked about as the best play, held on to the ball when she was run over. Once Kit gave up the, the winning run to her, or the, the go-ahead run, she sees Kit as the emotional wreck crying. This is post-Kit getting traded because Dottie was like, I'm done with this, fine, trade me, because Kit... Dottie knows and has known her whole life, but Kit has finally said it. She probably said it before, but she said it in such an emotional way. I've been in your shadow forever. I mean, even in the beginning of the movie, she's talking about, oh, this is our daughter Dottie and blah, blah, blah. And this is our other daughter, Kit. You know, that kind of thing. She's always been second fiddle. Why do you got to be so good, Dottie? Dottie's athletically gifted, physically gifted, a better player than Kit. Kit wants it. Kit wants to get out of Oregon. The only reason she's there is because Dottie agreed that she would go play. So that's the only reason the kid is out of there. Dottie looks over, and this is after a very emotional scene where they had that huge blow-up argument, which caused her to get traded, and sees the emotional destruction the kid is experiencing right now. Dottie is not going to play in this league anymore. Okay, Dottie is going back home to Oregon. She's going to have kids. She's going to raise a family. Kit does not want to go back to Oregon. Dottie knows how fragile Kit is, and she knows that if Kit wins this thing, I'm not saying Dottie's throwing the game at all, but what I'm saying is if there's an opportunity and Kit can come out victorious here, she knows it'll change her life and it'll give her the motivation or whatever she needs to continue down this other path, and she won't be destroyed. So when it comes down to it, I think subconsciously, once she gets run into she drops the ball and she does it for her sister. And we know what happens to her sister. You know, she's obviously very successful, bunch of grandkids, all that stuff, traveling around with her husband. So that's to me, the emotional journey and the plot line between these siblings that kind of comes to fruition and kind of like just really shows us that yes, they've grown and Dottie, if she has the opportunity, which she does, does this for her sister. Now, Lori Petty is on record on Twitter saying Dottie did not drop the ball on purpose. Did not happen. There's people that feel both ways, and it's so fucking awesome when you have a movie like that. It's so great when you can get that emotionally involved and think about it the way we've been thinking yeah. about this. And the only other thing I would say to you, and, and that's a very well-constructed argument, and I, I really don't have a lot to pick apart about that, but if Dottie wanted to give her the 
glory of winning, she could have just struck out a half an inning earlier. You got to earn it. <laughs> you got to earn you. it. I hear you. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I totally agree. I love having that ending. And I remember being crushed in the theater because I wanted Gina Davis to win so bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all I'm thinking is, like, Thelma and Louise, this. Like, how can my girl get a win? Please. <laughs> well, Earth Girls are easy. She got a win in the end. So, before we get to our list coming up here uh, that we've cultivated very specifically for this audience, I had a couple of other things that I wanted to talk about with respect to the filmmaking uh, that aren't totally crucial, but I think really, really work. Number one, we have Dottie at the beginning of this movie is an elderly Dottie, played by Lynn Cartwright in her very last movie. And she was married. I thought this was very interesting. So I look up Lynn Cartwright, and she was one of, you know, the, a classic star. She never really hit it huge. But she was married to a guy named Leo Gordon. And I looked him up, and basically she married Rick Dalton. <laughs> His entire IMDb are like all of these Hollywood westerns from oh, the 40s, man. 50s, and 60s. It's fantastic. But... What they did was they cast somebody who looks a lot like what you would expect Gina Davis to look like when she's that old. No fucking shit. I think it, I always think it's her in makeup. And here's why you think it's her in makeup. They dub her voice in. Obviously. But when I, like the first 10 years I watched this movie, I was like, man, she's got Gina Davis. Because I just didn't think about it. You know, it just wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't something I, I was like, really? In 92, they're dubbing that in? The dubbing is really well done. It's the opposite of the dubbing in Space Cowboys, where they give the old men, Clint Eastwood, Tommy Lee Jones, Donald Sutherland, James Garner, to the young actors. So all these young actors have the old man voice. The reverse, like they did here, perfectly works. It's so good. It is so good. They did that with with Dottie and Kit. Um, I also Mm -hmm. can't get out of this episode without talking about the fact that Dottie is a historically great athlete and her grandson's got none of that athleticism. He travels five times in like a 30-second basketball scene. So much double dribbling. I don't get it. Just terrible. Just Uh, terrible. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I got to say, there's a lot of skepticism about two characters, what they're based on, who they're based on, are they real people. Did you see any of this? I don't want to step on any of your, your tidbits. All I saw was, well, aside that Jimmy Dugan is a mix of Jimmy Fox and Hack Wilson, former icons of the sport who drank themselves out of their careers, and that the Dottie Henson character was inspired by, inspired by the real-life player Dorothy Cammy uh, Kamenchik and a left-handed first baseman who they said, she played actually 10 seasons, I believe, but finest fielding first baseman in all of baseball, including MLB yeah. at the time. That's what they had said. Okay, I saw... It. That's the only thing okay, I had so seen. I saw that, and I just think that that's incredible. Dorothy Kamchek, not only is she everything that you said, but I saw in an article that in 10 years of playing professional baseball, she struck out 81 times. That's I can't absurd. even figure that. I, I struck out 81 times in batting practice. Like, this is nuts. <laughs> um, that's absurd. Dottie Henson, there's a lot of people who say, no, she was based on my mom. There's a player named Dottie Green who was a catcher for the Peaches. There's a player named Barry Baker who was an all-star catcher who had a sister in the league. And also, I guess, her her attitude and her the way about her was very similar to Dottie Henson. But I did see in a Collider article as well as an ABC News report that this Dorothy Kamenchek seems to be the consensus as to who Dottie was based on. 
Jimmy Dugan. I did uh, notice people really been saying Jimmy Fox, obviously Jimmy Jimmy. Hack Wilson, another alcoholic. But there's got to be, to me, there's some Mickey Mantle on the back end. Uh, I think Mickey Mantle's mixed in there somewhere with not just the alcohol, but the leg issue and and the injury and all that. So I think there's an amalgamation of, of those three guys, if I had to guess. Was Mickey Mantle a drinker? Mickey Mantle would not drink anything that wasn't liquor, is my understanding. Um, but you got you got to ask oh. Tom Jane about that uh, in the Immortal 61. <laughs> oh, B-Pep. <laughs> but uh, those are the, the real people. Jimmy Fox, legendary guy. He played 20 years in the league. Hack Wilson also played a long time, but they were notorious drinkers. Uh, that sort of fizzled out very, very early in their career, even though they started out as potentially the best baseball players of, of their era. What about Tommy Lasorda? He was pretty good, right? Light of foot. Mike Piazza, godson, right? Something, Something like, that. like that, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Hall of yeah. Famer Mike Piazza. Let's give him the respect he deserves. Hall of Famer Mike Piazza. He was the one who Roger Clemens threw that piece of the bat yeah. at when he was running a first yeah. base. No roid rage there, Raj. No. I know we no. might have some Yankee fans listening, but... CC Sabathia. <laughs> yes, he's also a baseball player. This is going to be the part of the pod where Jed just starts randomly yelling baseball players he remembers. <laughs> one other thing I want to talk about is how they made a TV show that only lasted one season. A few of the actresses from the film reprised their roles, uh, had new characters for the main, main stars. Uh, Gina Davis was not on the show, things like that. But... It didn't work. It lasted one season. I think it would work perfectly right now. And evidently, Amazon has the same idea I do because it sounds like they're coming out with a show that's in the works. I'm going to watch the hell out of that because I love Glow. Never thought I would have liked a show like that. Yeah. But if they do this a similar thing and tackle this, I mean, they had 10 seasons of them playing baseball. There's so many things they can get into about the time. I, I'm excited for that. Yeah, and Darcy Carden, I guess, has been cast, and I'm hoping, you know, with, with everything and a bunch of production getting shut down, you never know what's going to go and what's what's not. But I'm so excited for that show, and I think you're 100% right that something like this lends itself to an episodic uh, storytelling. The last thing I want to talk about with this movie is what it did with respect to showing me the type of sports movie that I had never really seen before, which was seeing women in a competitive environment where they were quote unquote just as competitive as the guys you know in a lot of other movies where female athletes were portrayed in a ladylike manner play this game in a ladylike manner this was a baseball movie that really didn't put that shine on it yes the characters had to go to charm and beauty school which is something that the real players had to do in in real life but on the field there was nothing you know, I don't mean to use this in a pejorative way, but female or girly or whatever about the way the game was played. And I had never seen that sort of competitiveness. And I grew up, I played on a really good travel basketball team growing up and two of our starters were girls and they were two of like two of the three best players on the team. They went on to both be all state basketball players and they, it was just, it was not foreign to me in real life to play on teams with girls, have other teams like laugh at the fact that we had two girls starting on our team, and then when those girls both put up 15 with six rebounds on them and we won the game, that was that. And it was so cool to see that in a movie where all the players were incredibly good, incredibly gifted, and there was no apologizing for the type of baseball they played, for the type of game they played or anything like that. And that was something that at that time I had never seen. 
And it, it stuck with me, not just since then because it's a great film, but it's something that I'm sure stuck with a lot of different people to see that no-holds-barred, unabashed competitiveness and not apologize for it. And I love that aspect of this film. Well said, man. Well said. The only thing I have to add is, was the you're killing me, Alice line, was the you're killing me, Petey, a nod to that? I think it had to be, right? Totally. Of course. Of course. Yeah. 100%. So you mentioned it earlier. We made some lists. Top three baseball movies. This is a tough ask. Yeah, no shit. This is tough. When you asked me this, I was like, no brainer. It's going to be easy. And then I started looking and I'm like, I mean, this is going to change hourly. I mean, the number one spot for me, I'll just go first. Sure. Number one spot for me is locked in. It's Bull Durham. Yep. I hear you. Two and three are where it gets tough because I love Field of Dreams. I love Field of Dreams so much, but it's baseball's an aspect of the movie. It's a very important aspect, but it's about different things. Number two for me is Moneyball. Wow. I fucking love Moneyball. Yeah, it's a great movie. And there's very little baseball action per se in it, but it's about a different aspect of baseball that's very interesting and I just I fucking love that movie and the script is great and the acting's awesome. Now number three is where I kind of uh, Major League is so great. Rookie of the Year, For Love of the Game, The Rookie, Mr. Baseball, Bad News Bears, The Sandlot. I love all these films. But there's one that I saw when I was a kid and that I've seen numerous times and that I always try to tell myself, you got to watch it again because I just want to keep it in my memory. And that is The Scout. I knew you were going to say The Scout. Yep. I love this fucking movie. And it's not great, but it's awesome. Yep. It's so fucking good. Steve Nebraska is probably (laughs) the best baseball player that's ever been written. And I've seen The Natural, people. I get it. Don't at me about the natural. This is Brendan Fraser in his pocket. He's perfect. It's Albert Brooks to perfection. Best George Steinbrenner we've ever seen <laughs> ever. Well, and um, Albert Brooks and Brendan Fraser in this movie, their chemistry is oh god, just insane how good it is. I just love this movie. It does. It has baseball. It has a decent amount. Um, it's you know number four for me is is really the Sandlot, but I, I just right at the moment the Scout. So my top three. Bull Durham, Moneyball, and The Scout. I hate that you had me do this. Yeah. A League of Their Own, not on my top three because A League of the Own is in A League of Its Own. Oh, wow. Okay. What? Nice. So that's nice what I'm doing. Nice little segue there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Uh, so I was going to like say, hey, let's do top 10 or let's do top five. But I was like, I want to make this hard. So mm-hmm. I feel like top, you did. I feel like top 10 is too easy. So I didn't realize while I knew I was being an asshole to you, it was <laughs> I was not... Very thinking clearly enough to realize I was also being an asshole to myself. But my top three, <laughs> there's nothing that can knock this off the top. Bull Durham, you said it. Yeah. It, we're going to obviously do an episode on this movie, but it's just unassailably not just a great baseball movie, but there's like a metaphysical aspect to the entire thing. It's just, it's incredible. And we'll dive into that when we do that episode. Number two is A League of Their Own. This is not new. This is not because we did this episode. I think I've tried to make clear how much this movie meant to me and, and how much it makes me feel. And, and none of that's for show. Like, this is incredible. I got excited just pulling the DVD off the shelf to put it in the DVD player to watch it. It's just that good. Number three got hard. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you guys know, but I do like Kevin Costner quite a bit. I'm a Kevin Costner fan. Uh, I believe he's a talented man. I believe he's a beautiful man. I believe... <laughs> I believe he's the best athlete who's ever acted, ever. 
but Field of Dreams is not my number three. I've been to the Field of Dreams. I've had I've been able to play baseball on the Field of Dreams. I love Field of Dreams. However, Major League is just so mm-hmm. incredible. And I also think it gets a slight bump because of Major League Two. <laughs> And when you watch Major League Two, which is a watchable movie, but it is not good, you realize how incredible Major League is. And I can't have... Oh, gee, Charlie. <laughs> got a guy in here about to buy some white walls. I can't not, not, not let that be in my top three. It's not, <laughs> it's not possible. So my top three, like you said, this will change as soon as we hit stop on the recording. Right now, Bull Durham, A League of Their Own, Major League... That's a great list. It's just a great list. There's so um, many baseball movies, man. There's so many good ones, man. It's crazy. I mean, to me, A League of Their Own is just like, I. I it's just on another level. So that's I couldn't include it in the top three because I was making it easier on myself. Yeah, well, it's it's nice when uh, you're like, I would I would put this movie on the list, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had to. It was too difficult. Um, because when I ask you top three tennis movies and... Balls out, Gary, the tennis coach, has to be on there by default because no one's going to put that Sisto joint on there. I I mean, it's much easier. Number three is going to be like, remember that time you took out the iPad and were checking out my forehand? That's the third best tennis movie that's ever been put. Uh, Cole plays on a clay court is number three. A good good year with Russell Crowe is the third best tennis (laughs) movie. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, Russ. Oh, that movie. I... Uh, yeah, let's let's not do our twelfth year of doing this. <laughs> when we get to a good year, all of a sudden, goddamn. Hey, Ma- all right, let's roll into recommendations. Marion Cotillard. <laughs> uh, so okay, recommendations. I'll go first. Uh, it's a little different for me this time because, guys, I'm going to give you five recommendations, but you can only watch three of them right now. Um, the first, Ooh. the first one is a League of Their Own documentary. It's the documentary from I believe it's '88 that Penny Marshall saw that inspired her to try and make this movie. You can find it on YouTube. Just search A League of Their Own Documentary. It has a runtime of 27.36. Check that out. I watched it. Really interesting. And you can sort of see why, if you didn't know anything about it, which is what Penny Marshall says, she's like, I didn't know anything about this American, uh, all-American professional baseball league, how you would see this and go, this is a film. This is totally a movie that needs to be made. The second one, it's called A Secret Love. And some of you might have seen this trailer that just dropped on Netflix. I don't know if it was today or yesterday or or somewhat recently. But it's actually uh, Ryan Murphy produced, and I think Jason Bloom also produced, this documentary about two women who were actually in the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. And they are lovers, but they had to keep it secret. And they kind of kept it secret forever from everybody. But they are out and it kind of tells their story about coming up through the 30s and 40s and they're together today and so you can check out that trailer but it looks incredible and it actually deals with you know two players that were in this league and and what that might have been like the third one is a movie starring gina davis jessica chastain and colin farrell called ava I have not seen a trailer for it. I don't believe a trailer's been released yet. It was set to come out this year, but obviously with everything COVID, that might change. But Gina Davis is in it, and that's really all you need to know. It'll be perfect. Number four, Splash. Uh, <laughs> don't watch it on Disney Plus, though. See if you can get it somewhere else, because they did like the fur butt thing, because Disney is an insane company. And yeah. so when Daryl Hannah jumps in the water and you for a split second see half of butt, 
they decided they needed to like Lion King that and put the hair a little lower. It looks insane. It's crazy. That being said, it's a great film. Uh, anything with John Candy in it is going to make you smile. And Tom Hanks is that perfect 80s sort of funny Tom Hanks that we don't get anymore. And I don't know if we're going to get anymore. But it reminds you how good he was and things like Big and Splash and Turner and Hooch where he's like just a genuinely funny guy. Didn't you start carrying loose change after watching Splash? <laughs> Didn't you say that? That was like your thing? Of course it was. Of course it was. <laughs> and then the last thing for you baseball fans out there, uh, I just recently discovered, I mean, I'd known about the show Brockmire for a while, but I'd never seen it. I recently started watching it. Oh, I can't even begin to tell you how good this show is. It is like if Frank Reynolds from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia was a major league broadcaster who has a fucking meltdown and falls way off of any wagon that may be there and about how he tries to get his life back together, whatever that might be, while still trying to broadcast baseball games. Holy shit. It is a very dark comedy. It is very funny. Uh, but I have been telling everybody uh, in my phone who I think might be interested in this that it is fantastic. I'm texting people short clips of the show to be like, just watch the damn show. Jed, I think you can attest that that is true. Yeah, and not even just a clip you find on YouTube, a recording of him watching it on the TV. Yeah, everything's better with me in it. That's just one of them things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but guys, check out Brockmire. It's on Hulu. So, so good. That's all I got. What do you got? I have, for Penny Marshall, Renaissance Man. Love this Danny DeVito movie. It's great. You got an early Marky Mark in there. Riding in Cars with Boys. Drew Barrymore, Steve Zahn film. Really enjoyed that one. Yep. Just just good movie. For Gina Davis, I have The Accidental Tourist, which she won Best Supporting Actress for. Her and William Hurt. Interesting film. I really, I don't know how they made this film. I don't know how it got greenlit. I don't know. I mean, William it's Hurt. good, but it's weird. It's It was that weird period in Hollywood where... With William Hurt was in a movie, it was nominated for Oscars and it got made. And I still, for the life of me, can't figure out why that was a thing. I, I agree with you. It's a good. She's great in this film. You yeah. can see why she won. Absolutely. It's a weird fucking movie. For Mr. Tom Hanks, The Terminal. I will always recommend The Terminal. I know you will because I love him in The Terminal and I love The Terminal. It's just a good movie. It really, it's just a good movie. What was the name of Steve it again? Spielberg. The Terminal. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Lori Petty, obviously Point Break without question, but I'm going to go with Cadillac Man, Robin Williams film. Oh. Interesting, interesting little movie. Yeah, it is. You know is. what I mean? Not the greatest film ever, but not bad. That's what we it's like for watchable. our recommendations. Uh, guys, yeah. here's a movie. It's not great. Check it out. <laughs> I think you will enjoy parts you of will. it. You it's, will. It's an interesting film. I think that's a perfect way to put it. For Rosie O'Donnell, I got the Ted Demi classic, Beautiful Girls. Just watch that movie. That movie's just a great movie. And for... Perhaps best Cusack and Cusack we have accepted. Where, shocker, she plays the mom. (laughs) And that's it for recommendations for me. I'm pumped for our accepted episode. Oh, God. That's going to be so good. That's going to be deeper. Coming right on the heels of our Camp Nowhere episode. (laughs) Yeah, that accepted episode is going to be far deeper than any of you imagine. Abernathy Darwin Dunlap. (laughs) All right, man. Well, hey, that's, that's a league of their own. God, it's such a good movie. I want to go watch it right now. I was watching it getting ready for you to load up to Slack. And I have what appears to be 48 minutes left of it. And I will be watching that 48 minutes as soon as we uh, hang up this phone call. But, guys, 
thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can find us at Sigburns Pod uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Cigarette Burns Podcast at Yahoo.com for emails or birthday gifts up to you, June 29th. And we also, big announcement, we have a Facebook page now. Thank you, yeah, Jed, for setting that up. So tell them how to find us on Facebook. I wish I knew. Um, <laughs> I'm not good at Facebook, but I will add a link to our amazing website that we have that just has links to things. Um, so you'll see a little Facebook icon coming shortly. And also, don't get too excited because I'm not sure when it's going to get done. But I am rewriting the entire uh, website. Can hopefully add some nice features and we'll be expanding that. One day, if everything goes according to plan, we will have a reviews section where we will be writing reviews for movies and we'll be doing a bunch of other stuff on the website. It's going to hopefully grow. I want it to be, well, we both want it to be a community where everyone kind of has a voice and we can talk about things and just share our love of film and TV and, and all that great stuff. So it's going to be slow going, guys, but it's, it's in progress, so we are working on it. Yeah, I am worthless with tech, but I can tell you that we've had a lot of really great uh, emails and things, in, especially in the last like two or three months. I don't know if it has to do with people watching more movies, maybe listen to more podcasts, but we've had a lot of questions about, hey, is there a place that we can all get together and just talk about movies with people who listen to the show, or uh, is there a place where you know somebody asked us if we were writing reviews, and that, okay, well, I mean, if that's something you guys want, like we're happy to do as much of this as you guys would like us to do. So everything that we're doing is because you guys are asking and it's so cool and we love it and keep all the questions coming. Keep, you know, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't, because if this isn't fun for you, then it becomes less fun for us. So we want you guys to, uh, you know, get what you want. So thanks again. And we will see you next week. We're going to be watching roadhouse and breaking down that incredible drive-in movie theater movie that, uh, Oh my gosh. I'm just I'm I'm pumped right now thinking about how little pain hurts. <laughs> so, all right, guys, we will see you next week. Put me in, coach.